This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, and this is Campaign Catch-Up. It's Thursday, the 28th of April. Today, political reporter Paul Carp joins me to discuss something that hasn't been mentioned on the campaign trail yet, the future of our schools. But first, here's what happened today. The major parties argued how, if elected, they would help Australians deal with the rising cost of living now that inflation has soared and interest rate rises are on the way. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in Cairns announcing $24 million for the Cairns Marine Precinct. He said the coalition had already provided voters with a shield against international pressures on the economy through one-off cash payments and a temporary fuel excise, which was announced in the budget. The only way wages rise is when you get more and more Australians into work, which is what we're achieving. But secondly, because employers, businesses are doing better and they're finding new markets and they're forging ahead. And that while the government couldn't wave a magic wand to grow wages, Morrison said it had managed the economy very well during a pandemic. Do we put everything that everyone's worked so hard to achieve through the pandemic at risk with a Labor Party and Mr Albanese, who we know can't manage money? Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers was in Sydney, saying that only the government was to blame for stagnant wages over the last decade. The big risk of re-electing Scott Morrison is another three years of attacks on real wages, which make it harder and harder to keep up with the skyrocketing cost of living and to pay increasing costs on your mortgage. Chalmers said that Labor planned to help grow wages through policies like making childcare cheaper to bring more women back into the workforce. We said that we want to deal with labour hire undermining wages and job security. We want to deal with the gig economy. There are a whole range of proposals that we've made. Now, the government, they say that there's absolutely nothing we can do to get wages growing. That is complete and utter rubbish. Both men were asked how their parties would help Indigenous Australians, who would be among those hardest hit by rising inflation. The coalition pointed to government spending for outback stores, and Labor highlighted its promise to extend funding for housing in remote communities to reduce overcrowding. The Greens announced that if they hold the balance of power after the election, they'll push for a new levy on coal exports to help fund recovery programs for climate-related disasters and clean export industries. And One Nation is reportedly going to direct its preferences away from some moderate Liberal MPs on how to vote cards on election day. Coming up, political reporter Paul Karp joins me to talk about the major parties' plans for education spending. Hey, Paul. Hey, Jane. So we're halfway through the campaign and the big items on the agenda so far have been national security and now the rising cost of living. What are some of the areas we'd usually be hearing about around this time in a campaign that haven't come up yet? Well, there's usually a more lively uh, debate about increasing funding to government services. So last election, Labor was promising 50-50 hospital funding with the states. So that's boosting the contribution from 45 to 50% from the Commonwealth government. And this time they haven't done that. Last time they also promised uh, $14 billion over uh, 10 years to uh, um, public education to get them up to the school resource standard. And that hasn't happened uh, this time either. All they're promising is, is a pathway to fair funding. What do you mean by fair funding? What is the school's resourcing standard? So there's a 
a formula that works out what fair funding for a school looks like. And at the moment, the federal government gives 20% of that amount to government schools and states give up to 75%. Now that leaves a gap of at least 5% and more in some states that haven't given their full 75 between what they're receiving and what they need to receive uh, under the needs-based funding model. Mm. And in the, in the private system, because the federal government is the dominant funder of non-government schools, they give 80% of the school resourcing standard. And because of special deals, we have this situation where government schools have a decade to transition to a new funding model. And some of those schools that are above 100% of the, of, of, of the standard c- continue to be overfunded. What is the gap that the public school sector is seeking to fill in the future? Well, the gap between what they're getting now and 100% of the school resource standard is $4.5 billion. But experts say the real gap is even larger than that at more than $6.5 billion because uh, of the way that states were allowed to treat other costs, including capital depreciation and, you know, even in some cases transport um, as towards their school resourcing um, allocation. So it's a gap of $6.5 billion every year, $6.5 billion every year. Wow. And so what are both parties promising to do to help solve this issue and fill this gap? The coalition policy is to fund government schools for 20% of the school resourcing standard. Um, They haven't committed to that final 5% or or said how that's going to be filled. The coalition wants to narrow it, but the coalition wants to narrow it by the states paying more. So Labor have accepted that schools have to reach 100% and that they will put them on a pathway to doing that. But exactly what that pathway looks like is still undefined because the agreements between the Commonwealth and the states expire in 2023 and Labor has said they need to renegotiate those. So how many years will it take to get them up to standard is not clear and exactly how how much more money they're promising for government schools isn't known. So if some private schools are overfunded and most public schools are underfunded, why isn't any party trying to move some of the money from the overfunded schools to the underfunded ones? Well, back when Mark Latham was Labor leader uh, going into the 2004 election, he promised to cut funding for overfunded private schools and this was uh, referred to as the hit list, uh, which sounds very scary, and when, when Labor didn't win that election, uh, putting aspirational voters offside uh, with this policy was one of the things that was was blamed for that. And that's made it difficult uh, for Labor. Labor has also courted uh, courted the, the uh, non-government sector, particularly the Catholic sector, when they were upset uh, about the Gonski 2.0 reforms and, and, their, and their funding being cut and the coalition coming after them. Labor criticised the government for that. And so when the backflip came from the coalition to restore funding uh, to the non-government sector, then, uh, you know, Labor Labor went along with it. And, and so the difference really has been about who would do more for the public system, not to take money off the non-government schools. 
This doesn't seem ideal. As you say, Paul, most of the country's public schools are underfunded to the tune of $6.5 billion every year, and neither side appears prepared to put a clear plan on how to improve this to voters. Would you design the, the school funding system this way if you were doing it from scratch today? No, because it's obviously absurd that the schools with the most assets and, you know, uh, are receiving even more government funding. Obviously, you would not design it that way if you were starting today. But the question is, like in an electoral context, do, do you want to create winners and losers? Do you want the Catholic education system sending letters home to parents saying that, you know, that their school will be cut if uh, if you vote for one side of politics or the other. And when, when you look at it from that perspective, it's very easy to understand why neither side wants to create losers. And if, if neither side wants to create losers and the status quo has inequality, the inequality continues. I mean, it seems like Labor's policy here is fairly modest, given that education is traditionally seen as a strong suit for Labor. Why Why do you think that's the case? Uh, well, they have promised uh, a boost to TAFE with, uh, you know, almost half a million free TAFE places. They have promised $440 million of grant funding to help schools recover from the pandemic, but they haven't gone the whole hog and and increased the base funding because it was just such an expensive promise. And the 2019 election review basically found that Labor didn't see a surge in support despite these big spending policies and the big spending policies drove them to have to raise more revenue. And having been burned at the 2019 election, they've said, right, we don't want to raise taxes. And if you're not going to raise taxes, you're also not going to be promising billions more in base funding for public schools. Okay, thanks so much for your time, Paul. I'll let you go. Cheers, Jane. That's your campaign catch up for today. Tomorrow on Full Stories Newsroom Edition, Guardian Australia's editor Lenore Taylor will be talking more about how this week's inflation rise could affect the campaign. So check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You'd think at some point some party is going to have to tackle housing and rental affordability in Australia in a way that creates a more sane market because that is a very big part of this cost of living crisis. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.